Welcome back to the Act Two podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And today we're just going to jump into it because we have a very special guest whom I've wanted on the podcast since I saw his dogs on Twitter. Which yes. Is the more important thing. Paul Bay, podcast extraordinaire, screenwriter, chef, yeah. Canadian. <laughs> yeah. We, hey. this is, I, I've, I've wanted Paul on longer than Tasha. And then I saw Paul here in Los Angeles where we had an amazing lunch. We had drinks together. Then Paul went and just kept partying. And I went home. And but I have and, a question about this lunch. Did yeah. Jay-Z pay for it? I think round one. Round, yeah, something. Jay-Z I'm pretty paid sure for round some. one. Okay. And, then, okay. and then Paul paid for round two. The guest of honor paid? Josh paid for nothing, I bet. <laughs> no, I, I swear, I, there's a credit card that was not mine that fell down. It was just Josh and me. Yeah, it was. I did. I paid for something. We had, we had, you know, we had a great time. But anyway, Tasha, I'm going to tell you about Paul. Please do, because I wasn't invited to the lunch. <laughs> I, there we go. I learned, I, I, I didn't hear that. I learned a lot about Paul. I did an IMDB search on Paul. I looked on the internet about Paul, so let me just explain to you what this man that everyone can hear and that you and I are looking at has done. Okay. He has created The Black Tapes, which is basically a fictional podcast about a paranormal investigator. Is that, is that fair to say, Paul? Yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah. It was basically this viral podcast. We're going to talk about it. Ended up selling to NBC. He created The Big Loop, another podcast. He... Do you have a multi-series deal with Spotify, Paul? Had. Had. Okay, yeah. well, you had a multi-series deal with Spotify. He's the creator of Shoot the Moon, which is a 30-minute dramedy about Paul's life failures with uh, Ken Jeong and Daniel Day Kim attached. Which failed to get greenlit. Okay. <laughs> Adding to the failure. But no, this is all good stuff, but like, that's just scratching the surface. <laughs> he was, this is just on a personal note, I, he was a pastor. He was a stand-up comedian. He was a school teacher. He's a writer. He's probably an activist. He's Paul Bay. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Wow, that's that's a hell of an intro. You're that's a good solid. listener. Uh, you listen to everything. Oh my god, yeah. And so I think when we started this, it was like because I was personally I was so intrigued by your transition of like you created uh, the Black Tapes, which is awesome. It ran for three seasons. Um, I'm still listening to this, this it. So I'm like I'm, I listened to season one. But I, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know where to start, but I feel like it's kind of in the territory of the black tapes, maybe. Does that feel right? Like how you created that and then how that transitioned into selling that to NBC? Yeah, that's, that, that's, a, that's a good starting point because that's really what got my foot in the door. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, because my buddy Terry Miles and I, he's my co-creator, uh, a writer on the, um, the black tapes. He does all the sound stuff, all the mixing. Uh, he's the director. We, we co-direct, but he's pretty much the director. Um, I just sat in the back and saying, yeah, let's do it again. <laughs> That's all I do. And uh, Terry and I wrote a screenplay called The Black Tape uh, years ago, back in like, I think 2014. Mm. No, no, no. Maybe 2012 about uh, an idea I had uh, about a ghost hunter doesn't believe in ghosts. Gave it to his agent and it went nowhere for years. And then on the heels of the success of Serial, that super huge podcast uh, out of New York, in 2014, we were just sitting around frustrated about our, our non-selling screenplay. And then as a joke and out of frustration, I just said, too bad we can't turn our screenplay into a podcast like that. And Terry's eyes lit up and he said, why the hell not? And we figured it out. And by May 2015, we put it out and it got viral. Uh, got all these managers from LA. All of a sudden, I've never had that experience because I put out, you know, YouTube short films, my stand-up comedy stuff, sketches, had a TV show in Canada. Nothing really hit. But I tried it all. I tried even just wow. regular screenwriting and getting representation. That, of course, doesn't work. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, did, I did the whole dance. And this is the thing that hit. So it was, uh, uh, when I hit middle ages. So it's, 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 it's one of those things where you just keep trying. And then all of a sudden, all these people came. And we, we chose the one who actually flew to Vancouver uh, to meet us with potential showrunners. And oh. we're like, okay, let's, let's oh, wow. take us out to a fancy lunch. And we're like, okay, that's how you win us. We'll sign it. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Corded. But, wow. So you were in Vancouver at the time. And then how did, like, how did it catch fire? Like, how did this happen? So there were, we're lucky. Uh, when people, whenever I get invited to a podcast conference to talk about how to make a podcast a success, I always turn it down because I don't know how to make a success. I know mm -hmm. how to be lucky to be first. And so that's all, that's all that really happened. There was no one else in our space. Uh, there were, of course, because of BBC, there was audio drama around. Yeah. Uh, but there were no, um, that that fake journal, you know, the faux journalist investigating a mystery that sounds a lot like true crime. Uh, mm -hmm. We might have been one of the first in that space. There might have been only five of those types of shows around, if five. Wow. Uh, so because we were first, uh, we sort of took over that space. And then, you know, we, we designed it in such a way where like, let's pretend it's kind of real, like do have a war of the worlds. People will talk about this. We're pretty certain. And by Halloween, we should go viral. And that's exactly what happened. We heard on Halloween, the Nerdist special, the podcast that we're listening to, we heard them talking about our podcast and they were at a Hollywood party with all these actors and comedians. And they're like, dude, everyone's talking about this thing called the black tapes. And they're mm. like, is it real? They go, we don't know. And so that- <laughs> Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and then uh, we, that's when we spread. Um, I have so many questions. Go for I'm it. I'm gonna interrupt you. Yeah. <laughs> Josh. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Can I go back for a second? You said that in 2012, you wrote a script called The Black Tape with your partner. Where in your life were you at this point? We usually have our guests talk about, as you know, like all their, all their past and how they got to screenwriting. Mm -hmm. You have such a storied history that I don't want to make you go into all of that. But it sounds like you've been writing and trying to write professionally for quite a while. So where were you in that 2012 space? In 2012, I was, uh, um, was I still a high school teacher? Yeah, I was half-assing it as a high school teacher, an English teacher. This is my second stint because I'd quit in 2003 teaching to do stand-up comedy full-time. And that went okay. And then after uh, 2012 is when I had a, I had a TV show. It was like the Vancouver's version of The Daily Show. It was I was the host and I had three of my co-host friends. And I was sort of the anchor moderator that would moderate funny debates about city, city politics and issues. And that lasted exactly a year. And then I got fired. The, the show got canceled. Um, so I returned to teaching, wondering how am I going to do this? And I was really enjoying teaching at the time. And then that's when Terry and I wrote that screenplay. Uh, and then years later, in 2014, uh, we would we would revisit it just because of that comment. Um, but yeah, I was, I was sort of floating around. I've, I've been I was I was writing a lot on my own. So I've written a ton of sketches. Uh, I had a sketch cr uh, duo called Bucket with a well-known comedian in Canada named Charlie Demers. Um, within our first I think our first month of, of existence, uh, CBC invited us to have our own TV show. That didn't work out, but then they offered us a radio show with just us, a weekly sketch show. Uh, but then we ended up getting our TV series, so we said no to that, uh, regrettably. That would have, that would have, I think, gone on for quite a while. Uh, but you, you, so these things kept happening. I, I just enjoyed writing. I enjoyed, I enjoyed entertaining people, whether it be, um, you know, Josh mentioned I was a youth pastor. Uh, that was before I became an atheist, which sort of got became problematic uh, for a pastor. <laughs> uh, but I was always every career I've had, whether it's a pastor. Uh, teacher, stand-up comedian, actor. Uh, I, it was always involves oral storytelling. So it made sense that our screenplay jumped to uh, jumped to the public through uh, oral storytelling. Can I have a random question? Mm -hmm. So you know how when you're in high school and then you hear about your teacher having like a crazy personal, like when you kind of crack into your teacher's personal life, it's always a, a weird thing if you see a teacher out and about or something like that. Did that happen with your students? Were they like, Mr. Bay? you, what the fuck? I saw your show or something like that. Like, was it weird or, or was that just like a totally normal thing? So in my first stint as teaching, and I think in my fifth year of teaching, it was my student's idea combined with my parents. They, they all oh. inspired me to be a stand-up comic. Oh, okay. Um, I, was, awesome. I was sitting there and one of my grade 12 students said, you know, I was giving my annual, you know, pursue your dream speech. And then way at the back, I remember the student, John Mosca, I shut him out. He's the one who said, like, you know, just real attitude. Right. And he goes, bullshit. You're not pursuing your dreams. We know this is not your dream. I'm like, this teach, I'm living my dream, buddy. He goes, this is not your dream. That, that's the funniest thing you've ever said. He just, he just saw right through my artifice yeah. and, and my, uh, uh, a suppressed happiness and my depression on the surface. He saw all mm. of that and it bugged the hell out of me. And uh, with his, with his little smirk. And so it just, and then I thought about what my parents had, you know, before I was a teacher, they wanted me to be a stand-up comic. And mm. I, you know, I said no to that idea. 
Um, Wait, you have Asian parents who wanted you to be a stand-up comic? I was trying not to look at you when I said that. (laughs) I didn't want to bring up any issues on this podcast about her upbringing. But yeah, my mom... I felt your eyeline come right to me. I I know, I know. I'm like, 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 yeah. I better stare at Josh. He might have understanding parents. (laughs) That that actually uh, help you pursue dreams. No, it's... uh, When I told my parents in 95 I was going to be a stand-up... Sorry, a high school teacher... Uh, they t- they brought me over for dinner. Uh, they slid a credit card across the table very dramatically and said, "Listen, Daddy and I were talking. Uh, we we think we saw David Letterman. Uh, we think you could be a David Letterman, and uh, we you think you could be a Seinfeld. We didn't come to Canada for you to be stable or to have money. We came here for you to be happy. You've always been funny. People always listen to you. So this is a credit card. We're gonna get you something like this. We will pay. We will give you. We'll provide rent, everything for you for a little bit." Because, uh, you know, we weren't rich, but there was just enough for, like, gas, that kind of stuff. If you give up your teaching dream and pursue your comedy dream. And I'm like, I don't have a comedy dream. That's your dream. And so we wow. had that reverse parent-son fight where I'm like, I'm not going to pursue your dreams. I'm pursuing my dreams. They're like, no, we want you to be a stand-up comedian. And I'm like, I don't want to go on tour and sleep with strangers every night. And so <laughs> um, it, it, that's, that's what it became. And then years later, uh, when I be- when I quit teaching and became a broke stand-up comedian, we had another fight where I'm like, this was your idea. I'm like, you want to be a Dave, you wanted me to be David Letterman. She goes, we meant his money too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's where the Asian part came out. Yeah, yeah, I can see him blending. That's yeah, so yeah, interesting. Yeah. Wow. So well, wait, Tasha, did you have did you have anything? Because I have more questions. Okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah. If I'm listening to you as an audience member sitting in a seat as you're up on the panel with Josh, and you're telling me how yeah. um, you know you got a uh, a TV show, and CBS was like knocking on your door saying, "Hey, here's a bunch of stuff on a platter." When you talk about how like take a step underneath that and how those things actually happen, like if you were in Canada, how is CBS even knowing you exist? How are they getting your material? Yeah, so it's it's all through my first my manager who signed me on because of the black tapes, and that happened because his assistant Chad Kajuri, who's right now at ICM, shout out to Chad. It was actually him. Yeah, Chad. Uh, he he reached out an email one day, and he said, "Hey, you know," uh, and this is when we we're getting a ton of emails. But there was something about his email uh, that said, "Listen, I was driving, and I just got hypnotized by the black tapes. I've already mm-hmm. finished it." He was the only one that said he finished it. First mm-hmm. of all, which which hits my writer ego. Of course you want yeah. to know it, right? So we're like, oh, this guy seems very smart. Um, so we, just, <laughs> we better pay attention to this guy. He's got taste. And so we, uh, we said, yeah, let's meet up. And he's like, you know, I represent a, a manager. Uh, he's He's got a, a show coming out called Game of Thrones. He represents the showrunners. Uh, we're like, oh, we know that show. He's talking to us because we're Canadian. We might not know this. And we're, then we, anyways, he flew up and we met. And it's because of him. He's a very powerful man. He got me into all the rooms. And, you know, set it set us up. And so the, with the black tapes, what happened, and I've heard you guys talk about this one, like, how do you get an agent? What happened was uh, the black tapes used to be at Sony. It didn't work out. Switch showrunners. We got this new showrunner, Matt Arnold. And then we're ready to pitch Fox. We're getting ready to pitch 20th Century Fox. And I'm down there in 2018. Uh, and, and what happened was my partner, Terry, he was away at Comic-Con because he's got other stuff going on. So just Matt and me. And I've been telling my manager, hey, I've got... Other screenplays, like, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's, one of, he, he's one of those that thought, well, let's see what happens with the black tapes first, right? And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I could pitch. And he goes, oh, let's, let's see what happens with this. Anyways, we're in the room, and we, Matt and I split it up. He did the first half of the pitch, and I did the Q&A. And I, I killed in the Q&A. I could see everyone light up. And then Guyman afterwards, uh, my manager, is like, what the hell was that? I'm like, well, I told you I could pitch. He goes, well, screw this. We're not... We're taking this to the town. You're staying longer. And that's when I got introduced to everybody. He got me into like every, like HBO, uh, uh, Fox, uh, NBC, everything. And then mm. Matt's agent was in the room for the big NBC, uh, for one of the pitches. I think it was Fox Network. And I saw their eyes light up. And, and one of them was a partner at ICM. And then I see him nudge Jeff Barry, who would become my agent. He goes, check this guy out. And I can see them both light up. And the way they, sh- you know, you can tell when someone shakes your hand, they're like, they're yeah. impressed, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, um, I, I rare, I've rarely experienced that, so I know it was special. Uh, yeah. So you shook my hand, I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is happening. Anyways, he kept on me, kept emailing me uh, while I was looking at other agents. And then uh, I felt like a, 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 like a, a pretty dude at, at a dance. And, so it's a, and then a few months went by and I'm like, are you still interested in me? He's like, yeah. And so that's what happened. It's actually those two guys that opened up all these doors. Mm-hmm. And they sort of work with me in terms of the way I like to work. Uh, I work very quickly. 
And when I get ideas, I, I will put out the one pager. So especially Jeff, because he was a, he's got that agent mentality, uh, which is more numbers. Whenever I have an idea, I'm like, hey, here's an idea. I send him the one pager. And within 12 hours, he'll get back to me, excited or not excited. Mm, that's and great. he'll be like, this is going out. And then next thing you know, I've got these generals. Mm. And, and that one thing leads to another. And that's how these things happen. That leads into one of Josh's questions, which is awesome, about how you don't write specs. You just go straight to the room to pitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I'm going to leave it to Josh to ask the question. But I mean, I, I just have so many questions about, I, I guess, well, number one, you are, you're great at storytelling and you're great at, you're great in a room and it sounds like you can connect with people, right? Like that, and I'm assuming that probably came from your teaching, your uh, being able to speak as a youth pastor, stand-up comedy, right? Like that all comes together and, and just... It breaks you down so you <laughs> yeah. can talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so do your agents and managers, like do your, uh, your reps know that? They're like, Paul is a pitcher. He's a fucking closer and he's going to get this done. Yeah, they, they know, like they could put me in a room. Uh, they, they both told me, they go, because I, I was really, because I've sold four things, uh, TV shows and a few podcasts. And I'm like, uh, they're like, your batting average is really high. 2023, we, we need to get you a green light. This is the year we get you a green light. So they've been trying really hard. And 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 then when they're, I could, I could tell, I had lunch with them when I was in LA a few weeks ago. And they they could tell I was a little bit down about my green light, like not getting a green light. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, getting paid for the pilot stage. And they were like, "Don't worry, we're going to get you in every room. We 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 know once you get get you in the room, you'll surprise everybody. We know that." Yeah. Uh, so having that faith behind, having a team, like it's so important. Like it's, you know, people always say this is Hollywood's a thing where you don't work on your own. No success is is solitary, uh, and doesn't come by uh, one person. And it's true. Like even in, at this stage, like it's it's them. Uh, it, it's I'm picking carefully the team that knew how to work with me. My manager works with a script with me, anything that we sell. Like I had sold something to AMC, this horror set in the early 80s. I, I'm still trying to get going, but it's it's when it didn't get picked, him and I were just like so deflated. Where my agent, who's now my all second manager, uh, Jeff, he, he'll he be like, okay, brush it off. Next, let's send the next one out. Let's get you a sale. Wow. So mm -hmm. having them both think, uh, I hate talking about like they fulfill my needs <laughs> in yeah. that way, but they, they kind of <laughs> do. I have this team that sort of takes care of all that and and, and pumps me up. Have you, have you been in the position where you've pitched something, an exec or a producer or to someone and they've loved it? They're like, but can you get us, would you be open to writing a spec? Like, have you ever been in that scenario where you've no, turned No, so down? Jeff is the one who's very protective. Uh, Guyman is too, but Jeff always used to tell me, it's probably changed now, but he always used to tell me, because I want to write a spec. I'm like, let me write this. I'll get it ready mm -hmm. in three months. And he's like, no, no, you don't write for free. Not when you're with me. You don't. He'd always say that. You, you don't write for free. Yeah. And I think that's a, that must be a Hollywood term. But he's like, mm -hmm. you don't write for free. We're going to get them to pay you to write. And I'm like, okay, I think it'd help if I had a spec. And he goes, no, mm -hmm. no, they got your pilots and stuff. They got that. They know you can write. Just, But it's your idea, right? Uh -huh. I'm like, okay. Do, well, I'm going to shift off of the pitching for a second and go back to, I think we, the podcast and like the selling in that department. Do you recommend that for screenwriters? Like, do you see that? Because it sounds like you knew you were first going into this like fictionalized uh, uh, a, a series that you did. But do you recommend that now if a screenwriter wanted to kind of break in and tell a story? Is that something you would tell someone to do? Yeah, I would. If, if that's an avenue open to them, uh, if they have friends who are actors who can help yeah. them out. Uh, unless I, I've been doing this thing where, I've tr where I trade services. Where I've, been, I've been Zooming with a lot of showrunners. Mm -hmm. Right, it's a way for me to meet them, and for them, you know, one of them even offered me a staffing thing, uh, oh. which I couldn't take. But it's, it's it happens where it's like they want to know how to turn their uh, TV pilot into an audio for you know format. They, they want to pitch it around and, and then build the IP. Yeah, to to come back, you know, to help supplement the sale. Uh, and uh, I've been doing that a lot, uh, and and you know it. it but I always tell everybody, don't do this. You're not going to make any money. You're going to lose money uh, yeah. doing this right now because the market is so glutted. Uh, and it doesn't work as IP if you're not getting any attention. So it kind of helps to still have to pitch one of the big companies. Like um, Q Code is probably one of the biggest audio drama producers and studios uh, in the Western world right now. And they have a 900 batting average in selling their audio dramas for IP as movies or TV. Uh, wow. So I was going to make it on my own, this one horror I had, but then someone out of the blue said, hey, Q Code wants to meet. I'm like, okay, let's go. In. And then we just had a general. And, you know, every time I walk into a general, I, I've, I said this on Twitter many times, I always walk in with three, 
you know, soft pitches mm-hmm. to sort of sneak into the conversation. And, and I only mention stuff that I have a one pager for. Mm-hmm. And so when I went in, I pitched, you know, I pitched the comedy. And I'm like, and they go, what else are you working on? I'm like, well, I have a really personal thing. And I save it for last, the one I want to really want. And then it usually, it's, that's the one that usually goes. And in the sale, in the general, afterwards, they go, do you have the one pager? I'm like, yeah, I, I send them the three pages. And mm-hmm. then uh, 24 hours later, they're like, we, we want it. We'll buy it. And I'm like, oh, there we go. And so it just, <laughs> it just, it just goes like that. But, it's, but I, I needed that because if I did it on my own, it'd be a lot of money uh, for me to pay everyone because it's, it's, I'm at the place now where, you know, I got to pay everyone union wages, uh, yeah. and all, you know, there's a lot of things to think about. So it becomes a huge production where if I go with Q code, they'll take care of it all. And they're in that IP pipeline where they're used to uh, Rob Herding, who owns Q code. He, everyone, in, everyone in Hollywood TV knows him already because he used to be an agent. And so mm-hmm. he, he sets that yeah, up. It's right. part of the package. Are you then attached to write it then? Yeah. That's, uh, that's we, part we, of the deal you make with Q code. Yeah. We own the IP together. You want it together? Is it 50-50? Um, I can't It's pretty fair. I can't remember what it okay. is. Uh, but but when it gets to TV, it becomes a standard thing where I think they'll get like 20% uh, and uh, something like that. I, I, I'm not good with numbers, okay. which, is, which is why my Asian mother wanted me to be a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. So Can you play the piano or the violin? Because nope. that's another option. <laughs> no, they said, just, okay. just use your mouth. Just, just, yeah. just eat. Can you, you make sounds lot, or jokes, so. anything? Just, just talk. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were just talking about Twitter and without getting into specifics, you had told me that you had basically sold something on Twitter just by kind of like tweeting out an idea. Is that right? Like, yeah, so I've, I've had, yeah, I've had a half dozen tweets of like, you know, I like to, tw- when I'm in a silly mood, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet a funny idea to me, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, a, that becomes a show idea. And then it, yeah. then they go viral. I've had that happen about a half dozen times. Anyways, one of them, the showrunner who I will not name, be, uh, it'll become apparent later. He DM me and he goes, listen, I know you're joking, but this is really good. If you do this, you can attach me, put my name in there and I'll help get this through. Maybe this ask your manager. Crazy. So I asked mm-hmm. my manager, I, I take a screenshot. I've done this before. I go, sorry, here's another tweet. <laughs> and, and these tweets often, they lead to meetings with, the, with everybody, all hands on deck and, yeah. and, and prospective studios about my tweets. But this is the one where everyone was like, oh, this is really exciting. And I'm like, he's already attached. They go, really? I go, yeah, he, he's, he's attached. And so we met with the studio that owns the rights and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, it went no, it just sort of, you know how things go. Everyone's yeah, excited. Course. A year later, like, what happened to that? Oh, okay, yeah. it just died. And then, <laughs> and then I had a general last November with the studio. Um, and in the gen- again, it came with three ideas. And then I, he goes, hey, I heard it through the grapevine about this tweet you had. Oh, he goes, wow. He goes, is this true? And I told him, he goes, what's the idea? Because no one could really say it. I'm like, here's the idea. And I pitched it. And he goes, oh, wow. I go, yeah. So I pitched that. And that, that put me on a roll. And then I did other stuff. And then uh, I pitched some other stuff. Anyways, I found out afterwards, I, they, they bought all three. Oh, shit. From the general. Uh, I only got deals signed for two. Because the third one was dependent on an actor I needed to attach. Yeah. Who wouldn't attach to that. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay, whatever. But I sold, anyways, in, in spirit, I sold three. Uh, technically, I sold two, but you one of the- You sold two bitches in a general, yeah, not yeah, even in a room. Yeah, like I didn't in a have to pitch. <laughs> it, was just, it was just like talking like us. I just, and, and I told the showrunner, I go, hey, it's on. They're going to send you a showrunner deal. He's like, what? Oh, that's awesome. And he helped me make the, the real pitch and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around it. Yeah, yeah. Right? that's so bonkers, Paul. Yeah, because they're all going out like any minute. Well, as soon as the showrunner deals for that, for the sitcom and this one that we're talking yeah. about, go, I'm, I'm pitching it uh, I feel with these like, other things. Like there's all these articles about how Hollywood is kind of tightening the belt and not spending money and this and that. And then like, there's Paul. Yeah. And, <laughs> who's like walking around like, fuck you, fuck you. Who's taking then, everyone's money, that's no, why. No, remember, these are, these are studio deals. They're if-come deals, right? Oh, okay. And this is the only so you business. don't get paid. You don't get paid until I sell it, right? It's oh, like, it's, it's, I've had to explain to friends because they're like, you know, when I tell them, they're like, oh, I tell them the story. They're like, oh, so I guess you're paying for all of this for dinner. I'm like, oh, I haven't got paid yet. And it's the only industry where like, I made a sale yeah. for no money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, no. it's very weird. Um, and then can you talk a little bit about living outside of Los Angeles? Because this is kind of a big topic that comes up. Yeah. We've received emails about it. And obviously it's, you know, everyone's trying to figure out how to navigate through the industry. You're doing it very well, like living in Vancouver and, and just maybe speak to how that's been. Have you thought about moving to LA? Had you been in LA? All, all those things. 
Yeah, so pre-pandemic, my wife and I were actually in the process of getting an, an agent in LA, uh, a real estate agent. Uh, my manager hooked me up with one, uh, who, who all his listings I couldn't afford. And I didn't yeah. have the heart to tell my manager, you need to help me sell more stuff for me to afford your agent. Mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but it found, they, they, they opened up the prospect. We're looking at selling our house here to move to LA. And then the pandemic hit. And it put a pause on everything, but that helped online uh, pitching technology become more widespread. And I'm finding like, and I, I, my friends, like, uh, you guys could tell me like, even if you're in LA, you're still doing Zoom pitches half the time at least, yep. uh, instead of crossing town. So there's no reason for me to come to LA anymore. And my manager sort of pointed out, they go, you know, you're kind of like a unicorn. Like, like LA at a certain level, it becomes like this prestigious club. It, it, the whole thing becomes a Soho house mm -hmm. where it's like, uh, <laughs> how did you get in here? Like they're impressed that I got into the, the door without them knowing who, like you, you don't even live here. Uh, so I, I have that as my advantage. It makes them more curious. And they're like, you got in through podcasting? Like, so I become a, a curiosity as soon as I walk into the Zoom room. Yeah. And I, th I think it helps me out. And also um, I find when I go to, when I do go to LA, no one cancels meetings because <laughs> they know I'm only <laughs> there for that, that week. And I'm not yeah. coming back for another half year. Yeah, that's a great point. How did you, can you walk us back to then how you got your reps in Los Angeles? I know you kind of were talking around it a little bit, but a little bit more specifically. Yeah, so so the, the first one was, you know, the, the, the black tapes, uh, Chad Kujuri, uh listened. Thank God for LA traffic. He said because he's stuck in LA traffic, no joke. he yeah. could binge that's a true. whole two episodes per commute. Uh, and so um, anyways, Guyman, Guyman came up and introduced his showrunners. We signed with him, but then it's that pitching the black tapes where I signed with Jeff at ICM. So you had to kind of be in LA for that one for him to kind of see your magic in the room. Yeah, for that to work. Yeah, and that's what and and I'm I'm glad he was there for that because uh, you know I've reached out to other agents before and they're like yeah okay yeah let's 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 talk but Jeff was the one who was like bulldogging it. I could tell he wanted mm -hmm. me and so I haven't had a green light but he make he treats me like one of his top clients. I don't know if I am, but he treats me like that. And I like that feeling. I, I, you know, my friends would complain, you know, it's impossible to reach my agent. Never, I've never been ghosted by my agent. And it's, it, if, if, if he takes over, over 20 hours to respond, he'll always email or text, hey, sorry, I was on a flight. And so, you know, and so, it, it, and he's now a partner at uh, Range Media. Uh, mm -hmm. So he's, he's, he sets me up with better opportunities now for me to get bigger sales or at least bigger connections. So then being in, Canada, how often do you feel like you have to come to LA to keep the momentum going? You said, is it every six months? Uh, it used to be pre-pandemic was every six months. Now it's like, I just did my first trip uh, 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 to have lunch with Josh uh, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. And that, <laughs> and that was the first one in since the pandemic started. Okay. But I'll be going back every probably six months or a year. I, I don't feel the need to come back, but I'm finding uh, that, that it's, it's nice most of those meetings I had two weeks ago were people were executives I had Zooms with. Mm -hmm. And I'd mentioned, I'm supposed to come down and meet an actor. And they go, oh, come by, we'll have a coffee or whatever. So it was just follows, following up. And I'm finding in those sessions, we just throw around ideas. I had one streaming executive say, you know, have you ever talked about your fall? We're just talking about how I used to be a youth pastor and I became an atheist. They go, why haven't you written about that? <clears throat> and I'm like, oh, it's really hard. It's really, per it's really hard for me to write about this one. He goes, well, that sounds like the one we want then. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. So now that mm -hmm. one's starting to, it's another, like I go, well, I've got some stuff on my slate, but once it's done, they go, yeah, we want that pitch. Yeah. Uh, so those things happen and that wouldn't have happened outside of LA. You know how it is when you sit yeah. down with an exec and you have no time limit. It's just, yeah. it yeah. just, yep. the discussion goes everywhere and all these opportunities arise. Are you taking generals in Canada though, over Zoom as normal? Yeah, we are uh, uh, taking it with uh, LA people, which is weird because um, I don't have any meetings with Canadian film or TV industry, like none. Right? It's huh. like it's zero. I've That's had so one crazy. with uh, Netflix Canada uh, up here. Uh, they told me what they wanted. As soon as they told me, I'm like, oh, I don't have anything in that in that genre or in that yeah. space. But mm -hmm. I, I tried, but it didn't go anywhere. Uh, it wasn't expected, but they were nice. But all everything is everything is LA. Yeah. Speaking of genres, by the way, you said you were a stand-up comic. You said you also wrote some comedy stuff, but you also write kind of horror and drama. And we get a lot of writers writing in saying, hey, I, I wanna do everything. Can I do that or should I be targeted? And I think Josh and I have kind of mixed advice because it feels like when you start out, it's confusing to people if you send them, hey, I got a comedy, but hey, I also have this horror thing in a general. Um, but 
I mean, to your experience, it seems like you can pitch. I don't know if the three things you always bring in are different genres or are they the same genre? Can you kind of speak to how you've been able to navigate that a little bit? I have the advantage of when they look me up, they know, oh, Paul was a stand-up comedian who got his break in Hollywood through horror. And that used mm. to confuse people a little bit. But ever since Zach Krager, you know, he was like, you know, the whitest kids, you know, from comedy who loves yeah. horror. And mm-hmm. I find a lot of comedians. So it's, 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 they're finding out this, this space is not that it's not that disparate comedy and horror. So you could pitch both. But if I were starting out, I became I came, I had my opportunities because I was the horror guy. And my manager was set me up with these opportunities. Hey, do you want to meet this horror production company? Do you want to meet this studio that makes a lot of horror? They want to meet you. So it's good to start in one genre, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know, if, but that's how it worked for me. And then yeah. after um, I had a book come out about my teaching days, that's what provided the sitcom opportunities that led to other things that led to this, this one thing from last year. But, you know, it's, it, it, it helps people imagine what can this guy do? But it all yeah. starts for me with IP even before that. Right. Yeah, it's, a, that's it's, a, it's it's all IP for me. That's what's so great. It's like very inspiring about what you're saying is you create your own, your, your, you create your IP and, you, and, and maybe you're a horror guy now, but then you write about your own personal experiences and now you're, you're that version. And it's just a good reminder, like people can do it if, if, you know, it's just a matter of doing it. Yeah. If you have the resources and you have the support system and I, and I was, I was very fortunate through comedy where, uh, you know, if, if you're if you're a nice person and you're supportive of other people, they'll they'll reciprocate, and then they're like, hey, I need a favor. Boom! They're every, you'll get everyone jumping in to finally support you when you when you do the you know once a decade ask. <laughs> they know yeah, oh, okay, yeah. this might be some this might be something. Um, so it's 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 not using friendship. You know, when people say networking, it's such a weird term because everyone has something yeah. weird in their minds, and I'm I just like that term. Just be decent, be excited about, and listen. I, I'm finding in Hollywood a lot of people don't listen; they tell. Everyone's yes. a, everyone's a teller of experiences and stories, but I think the part because pe- everyone's like, like uh, you must pitch well because you're a stand-up comedian, but that's the performance aspect. But in the general meetings, I think my advantage is I listen well, and I could mm. I'm like oh I I could tell what this person is looking for already, and then I could like I don't come in with the three pitches I I sort of have them ready uh, from my research, but what you know there's occasions where I could read the executive like in November I could tell what that executive would respond to because him and I were really gelling. And yeah. we have similar backgrounds. I'm like, oh, you're going to like this. You're going to like mm-hmm. this. And it wasn't the three I had prepared. It was, a, it was like the fifth idea that I reached out into the mm-hmm. back of the pile to, to bring him. And he's like, I want that. Wow. And it's like, it's, it's, it's listening, um, uh, which is a skill that's not too often touted uh, in this industry. Wow. And then, yeah, and then feeling out and being able to read people and say, okay, this, yeah. is, you know, Josh is going to love this time travel movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, which I would if you had any. Um, <laughs> I imagine it's like the skill that is, 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 is most valued in a writer's room where it's like, if you could listen to your peers and add to what they have or, or boost them up or, you know, just, just create that atmosphere of like, Hey, it's the same thing with executives. I find like we we get excited about each other. I'm yeah. excited. They're listening. They're excited. I'm listening and providing them what they're looking for. You know, it's, it becomes a, a symbiotic thing. Uh, and it's just a lot of energy in the room. And it sounds like, especially because you're bringing these three ideas, like that gives you something to start bouncing off of and start really having conversations. And um, that's something Josh and I talk a lot about a lot is when you go into generals, like be prepared to talk not only about yourself and your story, which you have a fantastic story. So I'm sure that like loosens people up and helps them lean in. I know when I tell like the weirdest parts of my story, you can see people breaking down and they're like, oh, I'm now a human and I'm going to talk to you like a human um, instead of like an executive. And so I'm sure you're able to kind of break them down there and then boom, hit them with three ideas. And I think a lot of people don't go into generals with ideas. I'm actually one of them because I feel like I work so much on other people's IP, that's just like where my jobs are, that I have very little time to come up with the new spec idea. And so when I come into those meetings, I scramble in that space and I can see that they start to like lean back, like their body language changes, right? They sort of like start to close down because you don't have those great ideas. So I think it's a really important lesson what you're talking about. Yeah. Have you ever gone into like, have you ever pushed a meeting because you didn't have those ideas where you like knew you had to come into something prepared with some new ideas no i just i just take these you know I, I, everything that's happened for me has happened because of these op- it's just a lot of luck and just yeah. being ready for as ready as you can be for whatever and so and being open to new experiences or open to challenges so i just take it as they come and if nothing happens it's like oh well that's that's a connection right i've had yeah. things happen where i like I, there was zero connection in one meeting and i'm like okay whatever and i didn't win the owa 
And then during the pandemic, that executive reached out to me on Twitter, uh, laughing at a joke I made. And I'm like, hey, dude, <laughs> I haven't talked yeah. to you since you since you didn't buy my thing. Right. <laughs> I'm like, where are you now? He goes, oh, I'm at the, I'm at a different place now and higher. And he mm -hmm. goes, that thing you just tweeted. So that was another tweet. He goes, can you bring that to me? And it didn't go anywhere. You know, it got everyone excited. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that was like that was a thing where I didn't think it was gonna go anywhere because I'm like, he liked someone else better. Yeah. He was laughing at my jokes, but he didn't buy my my thing and didn't give yeah. it to me. So I but thought that was like he a couldn't waste. quit you, Paul. He couldn't quit me. In his head. <laughs> you know, this is all interesting too because I feel like you're a perfect example of how to use Twitter in the right way and not like burn the house down and you stay engaged with people. Like I feel like the platform is you're you're perfecting it almost in a sense. You know, you're you don't get into it with people. Not that oh, I used of. to get into it with people until okay. about five years ago, or, or with someone like is, if I see someone picking on people too much. I've done that like once a year. Well, that's a good but, good reason. Yeah, but I but I try but I try not. To, but it's, it's, even that I shouldn't have done it. You know, it's 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 just a waste of energy. They're not going to learn anything. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, it, it just uh, it just brings negativity into a space. And I and I realized you know. Uh, when I was in LA, and half those executive meetings started with, I enjoy you on Twitter. Wow. wow. Right? And, I, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know you followed me on Twitter, which reminds me, be, be fucking careful on Twitter, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a joke. Right? Hey, had a, had a meeting today with this guy. Well, he didn't know he had salad in his teeth all meeting. You know, yeah. something like, something stupid. Yeah. Oh, um, something I would do. I'm such a moron. <laughs> <laughs> but I realized, you know, I got, I've got good friendships. I've got good relationships in the, in the non-social media space. That's where I get my feeding from, and I'm on Twitter to entertain. Basically, yeah. I'm here to entertain and learn. I go, but you know, I'm, I'm, whenever I learn, I just and I have a few rules. I don't quote tweet dunk ever, no matter how bad the opinion. I don't do that. Like why? You're right. Why boost a bad opinion? Um, and I just I like to encourage. I like to like people's yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but otherwise, I, I I just like having fun. Right? Yeah. Put the fun out there. They'll bring, they'll give it back to me with the likes. Hit my yeah. endorphins that I need in my brain, and that's it. And then get the hell out back to my brain. <laughs> but that's so important because your social media, especially now, especially for creators, and and it's a it's really an extension of who you are. So I feel like a lot of people still go after and attack, and you see it. I've seen writers, um, many that I respect, that I see what they're doing. I'm like, whoa. I mean, I wouldn't go down this road because it's just like, like you said, no one's going to learn from. It's like now I don't want to work with them. There yeah. feels like so much negativity. I don't want to be an energy suck for yeah, anybody. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why it makes them, I think, um, reach out to me when they like, hey, we enjoyed it. Or uh, executives reach out. Hey, I like that tweet because they know mm. I'm not going to ask for anything. If they give me a compliment, I'm not going to say, hey, will you read my spec? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's, it's giving out the proper energy that as closest to your real person as possible. I, I swear this is my last Twitter related question. <laughs> I think we can move on from it. But do you ever get worried about putting your idea out there and someone taking it? No, nah, because they're all silly. Yeah, uh, okay. Like all those things did, I didn't expect at all. Um, mm -hmm. It's just it's just silly. And then and, and the, and the few times, this one time it worked, I just deleted it. I got a connection. Like it actually worked yeah. out in my favor. And wow. no one's going to steal it. It's, not, it's a, at its core, everything I tweet is a generic idea with just different twists on it nope. it's it's all ex you know how it is it's exec yeah. execution based and execution i have dependent. the reps to like put the weight and and muscle and and momentum behind an idea if yeah, they like yeah, it yeah. right so uh, even if they even if they try to write the same thing i'm like well i'm gonna beat you to the punch because we're gonna we're, yeah. we're gonna get started actually can i can i speak to that you you mentioned how you send your reps one pagers and you can do it pretty quickly because you write really fast and then they're like great we're setting you up with pitches all around town now because of this one pager. Can you talk through that process a bit? Because do you do you then take the one pager and totally beat it out and create a pitch script from there? Do you already have the movie planned out or the TV show planned out in your head when you send the one pager? Or is it just like a seed of an idea? I guess walk through what that process looks like from start to finish. Yeah, so the one pager usually is, uh, I try to get three things really tight, which is the, the concept like what is the concept? You know, really hone in on the genre, that kind of stuff. The tone, like what? What am I like? Try to come up with comps and that kind of stuff. And the and the main characters. Uh, if I can, if I can visualize that, that becomes a one pager for me. Okay. And then the rest is like we'll figure this out together. Uh, I like. So is it literally to break it down? Is it like log line? You just put that at the top of the page, and then it's. Uh, I guess tone you said, and then here's my character list. Is it is it any story arc whatsoever? Oh, not even a list. Maybe one or two characters. 
Because it's, oh, wow. it's only a one-pager, right? So, wow. for example, Shoot the Moon started with, uh, I, I sent Jeff this thing, uh, my agent. I'm like, hey, I got a, a, a one-pager uh, about my life. And he's like, oh, I didn't know this about your life. Uh, you're, you're actually writing about your divorce now. So it started about my divorce, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And he goes, can I send this to Ken Jong?" And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. You can send it to Ken Jong." <laughs> and then at the end of the day, he's like, Ken Jong wants to meet you. I'm like, oh, wow. Jesus. And then Ken gets on the phone. And then we end up from the one pager. We didn't even talk about the one pager. It just became talking about the story. Like what mm -hmm. led to your divorce? What led to your loss of faith? What led to all the Ken just asking questions because he's the one who has to commit. He's the mm -hmm. one making the sacrifice because uh, he's a very busy man, right? And he's very, he gets a lot of projects. So it might, it just becomes a discussion. That's what I really learned when people say, when you go into a meeting, it's a discussion, it's not a pitch. I'm like, oh, what does that really mean? I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, this is what it means. We're actually discussing yeah. the idea. And it, that's and something that's an so important, Paul, because I feel like I, I tend to need to know the beginning, middle and end of something because I'm so terrified that I'll get questions that I don't know answers to. Mm. Um, and also terrified that if there's no kind of completionist um, in the pitch that I'm giving that they'll be uninterested because they think I haven't thought it through. So I also have experienced this where like, it's so much about, I'm, I'm doing a pitch right now, for example, where we have thought out so much that it's too much, <laughs> which is which seems silly because it seems like it's counterintuitive. It seems like if I have a TV show idea, I need to go to the executive letting them know I have a handle on this whole thing. But really at the end of the day, what the pitch needs to do is get them excited about just the kind of storytelling you're about to do rather than having all of the answers to things. So I'm finding I'm having to pull out huge sections that I think are good, but that feel too much like I have the answers already versus like, we're going to discuss this across the table. You're going to get excited about the idea. And you know that I have a handle on the basic idea and the tone and all of that. You're just going to trust me with where the story goes. Yeah. So in the pitch, an actual formal pitch where they're like, you're going to pitch this thing with the team. I did have that, like everything, every detail, every, you know, and it becomes like a 20, 30 minute presentation. Uh, and mm -hmm. I have all the answers. That's what I do for the actual pitch. But mm -hmm. at this stage, off of one pager, I don't. It's just, let's do this together because you don't know what the partners are. And I don't want to give an ending because I give a possible, I always say, you know, we could go this way. And I just present this way. And if I see them and I see a little tear come down. I'm like, oh, I got him. I got him here, right? <laughs> and then I lean into that. You know, just, it's just responding yeah. to what, like a regular discussion. And then, you know, he brings up other people, you know, because I was walking my dogs one day and, he's, and Ken's like, hey, can I, can I show this to my friend Daniel Day Kim? He said, can I show this to my good friend Daniel Day Kim? I'm like, yes, you can show this to your good friend Daniel Day Kim. Like, I don't know. You tell me a little bit more about this friend. Yeah, I don't yeah, trust yeah. him. Is he, is he a Chinese guy? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and so, yeah, he gave it to him. Next thing we run over all on the phone. And I do this. I do the same thing. The one pager, and he's like, "Okay, I, you just sold it in the room to us." That's so and I'm cool. like, "Oh, geez, okay, here we go." And then yeah. I have to tell all my reps, "Cancel all my meetings. Daniel just bought it." Right? Yeah. Wow. And, and then uh, it, it's it becomes exciting because, and this was a great, even though uh, you know it, it, Amazon didn't greenlight it, I'll always remember the process, right? Because I still hang out. With, I made these great friends that you know it, we, everyone had a say in, in the pilot and that kind of stuff. I like being. I'm not. I'm yeah. not precious about my words. I'm like, this is a story for TV. It's going to be fun. It's going to be moving. And they kept reminding me, this is your story. Tell your, lean into it. Uh, whenever there's a place where we didn't know where to go, they're the ones encouraging me. Just go back to where you, and they always remind me what the initial pitch was, the thing yeah. they bought. So they were so helpful in that, right? And so I just, even though it didn't get greenlit, like I might be working on with them on another thing now. Like it's, it's, it's always, you meet people you want to make shit with. Yeah. All right. And, 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 and they're friends in the process. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the discussion afterwards and the relationships built off the one pager. That's, that's what it is until mm -hmm. you get to the actual pitch pitch. We rehearsed it like crazy. Yeah. And every angle, like you said, Tasha, at every angle, uh, spotted, I've had stuff where my agent afterwards, I'm like, I go, why didn't I win that OWA? He goes, the guy who won it, uh, had five seasons mapped out. Oh, you only had two. And I'm like, but I'm not, I don't like doing five seasons. Yeah. I like to cut off. So it depends on the listener too. Some people, like most people don't want five, they don't want to sit there for five seasons mapped out. They, they want to know they can, but I guess this executive didn't think, yeah. I, don't, I want to be collaborative. I want you to come with yeah. with the, yeah. everything. And I'm, now I'm starting to realize, oh, which streamer does that? Yeah. I'm starting to put them in boxes. What's right? hard about that too is that I feel like it's, as my, my manager has, has kind of counseled me on this because again, like I always want all the answers going in because I'm a perfectionist, but she's like, the more 
you put into it, the more questions it actually creates for the executive, especially because it's just Tasha, it's just Paul in a room by themselves coming up with five seasons of television. That is so ridiculous because usually when you sell a show, it's like a dozen people and we include the producers in the writer's room actually helping usher in five seasons of television creatively anyways, what the story is. So it's ridiculous to expect one person to come up with five seasons and a pitch. So she's like, scale it back and then be ready to answer questions about where you think it's going to go. But if you are so exacting in what your five seasons are, it creates so many questions that may be wrong because you maybe picked the wrong path as one person. So that's always in my head when I do it. So I think you did the right thing and that you just didn't get that job. It wasn't right for you. <laughs> what I start, I, but I started a new thing that's been way more effective. Ooh, so I'll, I'll, tell I'll, me. I'll, 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 I'll chart out the first season, maybe the second, right? a little bit of the second, but more of the series direction. But I, when I do that part, I always go, my hope for this is that we go, and then I, I go down that road. My hope, yeah. right? And, oh, and, 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 right. And then That's describe great. more the tone of the, the emotional journey without going to specifics, right? And then, then, then I, when I finish that sentence, I go, and so that by the end, our protagonist is now, remember where we started? We're yeah. now here. Yeah. Right. So I give the midpoint, like just the yeah, emotional. Yeah, so you at least know the character arc. Yeah, because when they, have to, speak around they have to move it up the chain, I'm hoping yeah. they could remember the emotion of what I just described so they can say the same thing um, like I used to be a stand-up comedian. I'd hear friends repeat my jokes and I'm like, oh, he just butchered it. That's not the joke. <laughs> right? That's funny. And that's yeah. my biggest fear when I tell these executives a thing. Uh, they're going to they're gonna butcher it go, going up the chain. They um, will. <laughs> so it's going to be the enthusiasm that they feel. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, and he said this. And it was kind of like this. But it, it's more the emotion that they're going to remember. Yeah, that's great advice. How do you, uh, this is kind of going back to an earlier question, but like how do you prioritize what you're working on because you are in so many different genres and how, what's your approach? Do you talk to your agents first and you're like, okay, this is where my head's at. And they're like, okay, good. Go with God, go down that road. But like, like where on like a day to day, are you thinking in a horror space, the comedy space? Like where, uh, where are you? And like, how do you prioritize that? So at the early, early stage, if I have something, I don't ask anybody. I just write it. Yeah. I'd write the one pager and I tell them, and they're not giving me notes or anything. I'm just like, here's a one pager. <laughs> I like this idea. I love it. I love right? it. Yeah. And they, if they get excited, they're like, oh, this is great. We're going to hang tight. We're going to set you up. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, I got all these meetings. Yeah. If they don't respond, they go, okay, cool. <laughs> then I know they didn't, they weren't really cool. It wasn't, uh-huh. They're not excited about it. Uh, so I'm like, okay, well, that's for me then. That's something I could turn into an audio drama and help them envision it. Because, you know, some of my favorite projects, my passion projects, they haven't picked up. Like my reps said that, because it's really hard to pick picture off a one page. It's one of those more execution dependent things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this horror that Hugo just bought, I pitched my reps before. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. And all they see is the problems that are going to mm-hmm. arise from this pitch. That, and I, I totally get it. But uh, but I'm like, well, you know, I'm just going to have to do it. And thank God Hugo came in with the money to like, we'll help you tell the story. We'll figure it out. Uh, and it's a very complex story. I have a... I've got a board I'm looking at. I don't, I, I don't want to tilt the camera right now and knock out the mic with, with all the priorities starting from left to right of all the projects and I have notes under them saying what stage you're at. Yeah. And, if, and I got numbers, which ones I'm working on like right away with dates. I should probably get a, a, one of those uh, index card board things so I can move it because I really need to move this stuff because number one is now in the fourth column. So it's, it's not, <laughs> like Tasha would hate this. Like it's just, oh, it's not organized. Is it color coordinated? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not, Paul. it's all the same color. Right? Paul, uh, look all at titles behind Tasha Greek. right now. Just if oh, you I know, can I see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I need. So um, I got to prioritize that way. Uh, and then when it becomes to the pitch the one pager, get ready to pitch the one pager. Uh, those I just think of those as generals where we're going to talk about this potential idea. Okay. That's it. So there's no prep for that. It's just getting excited. Oh, so it's not go pitch your one pager no. all around town. It's we're going to set you up with generals based on who would like this idea. Yeah. Are they also, do you know, are they saying, hey, Paul has an idea that he'd love to run by you? Or is it just like you need to meet Paul and they know that your method is that you're going to pitch this awesome idea? Yeah, exactly. The, the latter one, because okay. most of them, like they go, so uh, we heard about the one this one page you had. Like they read a bit of it. Some of them read all of it and they're excited. They want to hear more. Uh, those tend to not lead anywhere. Mm. It's, it's, it's more to get me these meetings because these company, this company would often works in that genre. That's fascinating. Right. And my, my rep knows I'm going to pitch three things. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. and that one page is going to be one of them. And I have the idea for them. Yeah. Like, 
he, he just knows that we, we have the Simba. Again, I, it's because of the people behind me who are setting these up and they know me. We all fit very specifically in each other's spaces. Yeah. And we know what he, we can do. And so he sets it up. I walk in and it might not have anything to do with the one pager, but that's the one that gave him the idea. Yeah. Oh, Paul can do this. Okay, let's set him out here. Oh, that's amazing. And I think a huge lesson for writers of, you know, any stage in their career is to is to do that with their agents and also set that expectation of like, hey, I'm going to send you these ideas and I need you to find people who you think would be good for these ideas and just set up a general. I just need this as a way in, because I also think that some writers are like, OK, now that I have a rep, get me generals and your rep needs to work with something, right? They yeah. need to somehow sell you to that person at Warner Brothers. And what do they have to say? Like, I have a great client who's great, <laughs> right? Unless, yeah. like I have this, here's a great one pager. I think it's right a, right within your wheelhouse. Even though they may not like that one page, they're like, yeah, I love horror. Like, let me meet this dude. I love the tone of this one pager. That's great. I'm not going to buy it, but now you're in the room and now you can start selling your own stuff. So for writers out there who are looking to try and find ways to get more generals, this is a really cool path. I love that idea. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always like uh, early in my relationship with my reps, it became a thing where I had to keep in mind, I have to remind them who I am. Mm-hmm. And I have to I have to teach, it's almost like teaching your reps who, what, who you are. Like, it's a teammate, they barely know me. And I'm like, I, I gotta show them a new skill every time, like a new aspect of my character. It's like building a friendship, like you, which, which you naturally just learn about each other over time. I didn't know you had this to you, but with your yeah. reps, it's like, you, you don't see them all the time. And it's like teaching them another, or showing them another bit about yourself by showing them, you know, here's another one pager. They go, oh, I didn't know Paul does romantic comedies. What mm-hmm. the hell? And so yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah. okay, well, let's set you up here. Um, so it's t- not teaching your reps. It sounds, it sounds weird, but, but, but showing them about yourself or, or yeah. coaching them about you. Yeah, um, that's great. I love that. I love that too. That's amazing. Yeah, the worst is when I see friends, uh, they're, they're, they don't do, they're waiting for their reps to do something yes. <laughs> with, yeah, with yeah, one yeah. spec or two, like they're just waiting. And that's, that's also why I sort of avoid specs. Uh, I am writing specs on my own, but I won't, I won't show it to my reps until like I'm 100% uh, right. certain uh, because that's, that's, a, that's a road you can't get back from yeah. uh, once you hand it to them. Um, so it's like, it's like uh, they'll sit and wait. And I'm like, you could, you could have written like two one-pagers in that time and got them excited about something. Like, mm-hmm. like reps often read just the first 10 pages. We hear about that all the time in a screenplay and they get excited. A one pager is perfect because like, oh, yeah. I know this writer. I know this guy. Uh, I know what they're going to do with this. That's a great idea for them. I'm going to take this out. And yeah. I know yeah. if I put him in the room with that exec, he can flesh this out with them. Uh, so it's just reminding them and, and urging them and getting them excited about yourself. And when you have the, the one pagers that the reps do not like as much, they're like, cool, buddy. Uh, <laughs> as Jay-Z would say. That's every time. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what Jay-Z would say. Good. Thanks, Josh. Not, not, Good. Thanks. Not, thanks, buddy. Yeah. Thanks, uh, what, do you, what do you do with those? You mentioned that sometimes you, you turn them into uh, like podcast dramas. What do you, because I know that also a lot of writers, when they hear that, especially if they're like, here's 10 ideas or whatever they do, they're so excited. They spent so much time on it and they hear no, 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 no. They're like, well, what do I do now? You just axed all my ideas and I've lost my momentum and I kind of stopped writing for a while is what happens to a lot of writers. Yeah, no, you, you, in this business, in this industry, I'm finding like, it's always like, especially because I haven't got a green light, my focus is selling stuff to move towards that green light, which yeah. means always generating ideas. You, you see, I, I think of myself as a door-to-door salesman sometimes, mm. going going Zoom to Zoom. And, you know, uh, 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 you know, my friend used to sell encyclopedias door-to-door. And he's like, you got to have a whole bunch of products. That's why it's not just encyclopedias. It's a, it's a, it's a CD-ROM. Oh, this is in the 90s. It's yeah. also this <laughs> and it's also that. A kid's package. You got to have all these things ready to go. If you go around selling just one thing, that's you're you're gonna flunk out of this business. Yeah. And I think about that with this. Unfortunately, it's like, but you know, we're storytellers, right? We have more than one story, uh, hopefully. Um, so those yeah. ideas that don't go, I put onto another doc. Uh, it just it works in progress, mm. and they slowly move up and down. And, and and under each title, I have all these bullet points. And when they get so long that they dominate that doc in my notes app, I move it to a whole new, its own notes app. Now mm-hmm. I'm now working on this project. And then sometimes I'll become a, like, there's so many different media. Like um, uh, I wrote no sleep stories that went viral and opened up the opportunities for me too. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. it's, we it's just, just talked about that last episode. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, uh, I remember my first meeting, at, I guess I could say this, at Netflix. And I met the head of genre there, or the horror genre. We're talking about my ideas. You know, I did the black tapes. And he looked at me, he's like, oh, dude, do you ever go on Reddit? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, 
Did you have, do you remember that story about a, a haunted high school and there's this teacher? I'm like, that's me. He's like, no. I'm like, dude, that's me. He goes, hold on a second. He, he brings up his computer and he turns the, the monitor towards me. He goes, that's you? I'm like, yeah, I'm Mr. Can't Do. <laughs> oh, shit. And, and I brought up the email to show it to prove, like, yeah, I'm not just bullshitting. Like, like see, that's me. And he's like, holy fuck. Right? <laughs> and then it, went, it didn't go anywhere, but it kept a relationship. It's like, yeah. you know, because I, I didn't know what to do with it at the time. I wish I had a pitch. Yeah. That's when I learned I got to be ready. Right? Yeah. But, but uh, I wasn't ready at the time. I was just like, oh, look, free food at the buffet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I was just wide eyed. But um, yeah, it's just it's just uh, being turning because uh, I'm a storyteller first before this might be controversial, but I'm a storyteller before I'm a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. I found ways to tell stories. I don't mm-hmm. really care about the medium because my goal has always been to make a living through writing. And sometimes I have to perform the writing, whether it's a podcast or stand up mm-hmm. or sketch, or sometimes it's just written. And sometimes I have to pitch in the room and tell the story that way. Mm. So because of that, it's always coming out. Like all these stories are coming out of me. And luckily, it hit, I'm hitting late in my life. So I've got tons of experiences. And my, and my life has been broken up into chapters mm-hmm. because I was an idiot quite often. <laughs> but those, those, those moments of idiocy have led to good stories. Yeah. I feel like I have so many other questions, but uh, it's yeah, been like an too. hour. So <laughs> I've got like a million <laughs> other things, but it's like next time, next podcast with Paul is like a couple drinks, like a, a live show. I'm glad you guys Ooh. asked me though, because I'm like, did you guys run out of sh- actual screenwriters to like? Because I, 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 I consider myself someone who hasn't got the production green light yet. So I, oh, I, I feel. But, but Paul, something we talked about in the last episode was how much professional screenwriting is like not getting greenlit. It's just like development shit, right? Like you're making money off of pilots and selling pitches and you're actively like, that's, that's 95% of screenwriters right here. I remember when I was uh, uh, working on the black tapes with our showrunner, Matt Arnold, he took me for a drive um, in the Hollywood Hills and he pointed to this one row of of mansions. He goes, see those mansions? I'm like, yeah. He goes, "Uh, take a guess what they do. I'm like, all screenwriters. Yeah. Take a guess how many of them have been released. I'm like, I don't know. He goes, none. He goes, <laughs> none of those. He goes, none of those four dudes have had anything produced. I love it. I drive. I drive through the Hollywood Hills all the time, and I'm just like, what do these people do? Yeah, what yeah. do these people do? Yeah, yeah. They go. They pro- they produced other people's stuff and attached themselves, but they haven't actually greenlit anything yeah. big. Yeah. Right. I looked it up. He was a little it's bit a wrong. Great lesson. But, but, it's but a great it's lesson. Still, no, still it's a great still lesson. a good lesson. I think that's that's absolutely true. It's crazy. And you're, you're like I was saying earlier, it's inspiring how you're able to get your own ideas uh, off the ground and then get you, you, you make your own success, essentially. And I think that's, that's really, that's, really important. It's so hard for writers to, to figure out that path, right? It just feels like there's nothing but walls in the way or just conf- general confusion, which is why this podcast exists, is to talk to people like you who have found a really unique, interesting path. And it's not that if I follow Paul Bay's exact path, I'll get Paul Bay's success, success. but it's, I think, just helpful to understand that there are so many paths to success that you can just follow what you love, I think, follow your instincts, which is what you did, Paul, and it ultimately can pay off. Yeah. And I think it has to do with like metaphors for breaking in, which is like breaking in is like another metaphor. Like people try to break in and there's a lot of people doing that. But because I'm in Canada, I've, I've used a peacock theory, like stand on a hill and, and just unfurl my feathers and wait for people <laughs> to see me. Like it's taken, it's taken longer. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, I, I can unfurl it to a lot of different people in that, in that time while I'm waiting, but it, it's worked for me. Just draw people towards myself. And I found that when people come, especially in Hollywood, when they come to you, they get the sense of, I found executives, like they like the sense of discovering something. Yeah. I think it happens in music too and in the publishing world. They, they feel like they discovered you. Mm-hmm. Not that you broke into their, their office. They came to you mm-hmm. and, they, and they work harder for you. Uh, I found that they like they root for you. They they want this to happen for you, and it, it's and they happening. want to share you with other people yes, because they do want to be like, here's this peacock that I found. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, yeah, all the way from Seoul, Korea. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my final question is, when are you going to start sending me recipes of all the stuff that you make? Oh, you so got delicious looking. Just ask me what you want. I'll send it to you. Just ask okay, me. Thank you. Know, you. Right? Yeah. Just email me and I'll send you, I'll send you uh, the TikTok. Uh, that's where I find it all these it's days. All t- <laughs> it's all t- I find it and I just like, you know, uh, just copy. 
<laughs> All right, Paul, we're going to have you on again to get more in detail on some of these other things. But this was a great first kind of overview of your past. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. That was great. And, and, and in six months, if you find I haven't sold anything, have me back on to talk about how do I get through the depression of, well, of, of pitching will. six things and not selling a thing. <laughs> number one is like how to be a peacock with Paul Bay. And then number two is yeah. like And I'll do it in front of my bourbon peacock. cabinet. I'll be like, hey, guys, look what I'm drinking today. Paul's like, a stupid business is yeah. terrible. <laughs> my mom said, like, I'm here to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Quote of the day. Quote of the day. We all know who it's from. I like the idea that a work of fiction is basically just some timeless human drama dressed up in contemporary clothing. George Saunders. Oh. Please remember to rate and subscribe. <laughs> follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram, and Paul, we all know, I mean, everyone knows where to find you, but it, <laughs> I am you? at Mr. Paul Bay uh, at all the socials. Boom. And it's a, it's a worthy follow. As always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. 